Hello, everybody. This is Josh Neighbors. Welcome back to the Locked On Nationals podcast. Today, joining me, Connor Jones. Finally, we have reached part six, the final part of our 2020 Nationals prospect preview. We've previewed the top 25 or 30 through uh, four, 30 through six of the Nationals prospects. Today, we will do one, two, three, four, and five, according to MLB.com. And Connor, we have to start here. The number five prospect, if there's anything that we do well on this show, it's uh, punting about our knowledge on teenagers. And that is where we start with Andre Lara, who is the fifth ranked prospect. He is 17 years old. So yeah, we'll, we'll definitely probably punt here. But um, just want to say that today's podcast, we're actually going to have some guys that you've probably heard of yeah. uh, in your life before. So maybe in some previous instances, that wasn't the case. This guy at number five, Andre Lara, probably not one of them. Um, He's 17 years old. He got $1.25 million when he signed. So uh, mm-hmm. they clearly think highly of him. There's just, like we like we always say, it's hard to project a 17-year-old when they're multiple years out from the major leagues. So he's a guy that you probably won't see for another half decade or so. But usually when I look at a guy like this, obviously we haven't seen them. We're not going to beat around the bush there. But if the Nats spend that much money on an international guy it's somebody they feel strongly about and somebody that they think has a real chance to be a solid com- contributor at the major league level one day yeah especially for that sum and, and to your point i mean I, I think the most well-known prospect that we've talked about the two guys that come out rowdy reed because we've seen him before and then seth romero too and not for good reasons i think those are the two most notable guys that we've uh, really talked about and yeah, I mean, for Lara, you, you talk about his frame, 6'4", 180. We don't know how accurate that is. But at 6'4", in the age of 17, you want to see how the uh, putting on weight and how like growing into his body affects his fastball. So he's around 92 to 95 right now. Um, that's my number one question, right, is what is the uh, what is you growing due to your fastball velocity? What is it due to life? How does it evolve? Um, Obviously, developing the secondary pitches, he's got he's got a slurve. That's the first time we've seen that out of the prospects. So it'll be fun to see how that pitch evolves. And then all these guys have developing changeups. I feel like we really haven't talked about pitchers with a lot, you know great changeups. ETA on him is twenty twenty four. So obviously, I mean, and, and you and I were joking before. I mean, this kid's eight years from his you know supposed athletic prime at twenty five, and it's still I mean twenty five is still pretty young. So we've got eight years until his supposed athletic prime. But uh, for that salary number and where his fastball already sits, I think it's pretty encouraging. Yeah, I think he's definitely an encouraging prospect. You look at a top five guy at 17 years old, a fastball like that at that age is really impressive. So if that breaking stuff comes along and, and he stays healthy, then four or five years from now, I definitely think you could see him as part of the rotation. All right, moving on now. Will Crow, number four. He is a right-handed pitcher, 25 years old, second round in 2017. 6'2", 240, so a big guy. He went to South Carolina. Had a solid freshman season, He uh, and, and ERA was in the fours, I believe, but that's good for a freshman year starter. Tommy John in 2016, he was drafted by the Indians, but turned it down and came back. Junior season, really good stuff. 3.41 ERA, 92 innings pitched, 90 strikeouts, 31 walks, 247 batting average against. In Potomac uh, in 2018, Amazing. 11-0 and 15 starts, 2.69 ERA, 78 Ks, 30, uh, 30 walks, 220 batting against. And then last year uh, in Fresno, obviously there was some, some between, but this is what's notable. Fresno, 10 games started, 54 innings pitched, 617 ERA, 41 strikeouts, 26 walks, 303 batting average against. So when we t- start off with the numbers stuff, and you know, I'll kind of jump to where my notes are. Um, actually, we'll, we'll, let's do the pitch arsenal first. 92 to 95 on the fastball. He's got good, good command of it, and there's a good spin rate on it. 
He throws a sinker that kind of complements that fastball because it doesn't have uh, a ton of life, and throws a good changeup. He's got a slider and a curveball too. So he's got the entire starter regimen. Durable, 149 innings pitched last year, which led all Nats farmhands. ETA is 20-20. And so when I look at his numbers last year in Fresno, Connor, and at his age of 25, this is a guy who's at the point now. This is his breaking point. I mean, breaking point in the sense of it's time for you to polish off the things that have kept you from or that are keeping you from getting to the major leagues. Um, and pitch variation, location, stuff like that. And it's time for him to settle in. And he will be a part of the national season this year if they do, in fact, have a season. Yeah, I think if you break it down by organizational depth and look at the starting pitchers in the organization, I'd say Will Crow is right after that, the trio that was kind of battling it out for the fifth spot in the rotation this year. So that'd be Joe Ross, Austin Voth, and Eric Fetty. I think Will Crow comes in right after that. Eric Fetty's kind of a guy that doesn't seem to be his... He, he'll have a couple good innings, and then he'll have one where he gets wild on you, and it's tough for him to get deep into the game. So I think Will Crow kind of has an opportunity to maybe uh, make a little bit of a jump up that up that ladder this year. So if, if somebody goes down in that rotation, it looks like to me it's those three guys, then it's Will Crow. One of those three is probably going to be in the back end of the bullpen. Um, I'm not sure we're going to see all three of them in the organization this year. So if one of them uh, gets traded, gets released, whatever happens, then maybe Will Crow has a chance to jump in there. And as soon as one guy goes down from that list, then that kind of will give Will Crow an opportunity. So uh, we'll see. But obviously the Fresno numbers were concerning. So hopefully some of that got worked out in the offseason. He's a guy that made some progress because, like you said, he's kind of at that tail end where um, – any improvement or any development needs to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah. And, and I think one thing it gives them the edge too, is that durability, right? I mean, you're always looking for guys that can spot start on double headers. And whenever somebody gets out of, you know, needs a day off, a guy can come up. I mean, he is definitely, he fits the build of that guy in terms of innings, pitch, pitch arsenal, all those things. It is that, you know, it's just the, you know, when you watch a game and you, you think you think about you got a farmhand coming up, you know, a guy who comes to make a start, you're just like you're praying to God that first inning you keep it under two runs. I, you know, what I'm saying, Connor, you know that feeling. Yeah, he's a he's a guy where really what I what I'd hope for out of him, and I think the organization would hope for as well, is that he can give you he can be a back end of the rotation guy that can get you six innings where he's not you know getting knocked around and knocked out of the game in the fourth where the bullpen kind of gets eaten up where if he can give you a chance to win, then he's going to be a, a, a solid contributor. He's just, you, you can't have that 6-1-7 ERA carryover because when that happens, that's the kind of thing that takes you out of the game before it, rarely, before it really even gets started. So the, there's obviously some more development that's needed with him, but, you know, they're hopeful. I mean, he's the number four prospect in the organization for a reason. I don't think he's a frontline guy. I don't think we're ever going to say that he's uh, a Scherzer or a Strasburg or anything like that, but... You know, can he be someone later in that rotation that gives you a chance to win? Because the Nats have had a lot of a lot of really good pitchers deep in those four and five spots over the years. Uh, yeah, and you know, I was talking before, and I think like best best case scenario, Tanner Roark, right? I mean, that's like if everything breaks right. If it was Tanner Roark, I think people would be thrilled. He he was yeah. so good. He was yeah. a, a number three guy that I mean, when they traded Christian Guzman for him, I don't Tanner Roark way outperformed or has i mean he's still a pitcher i'm talking about him like he's retired but yeah, no, he's, he's, yeah. he's really outperformed 
um, kind of what people probably expected for him. So if he turned into Tanner Ark, I mean, that's a guy that, that put up a lot of great seasons in D.C. From an early morning breakfast burrito to a 12-pack of beers while you watch the game, sometimes you just need what you need to be delivered fast. And that's where Postmates comes in. I love food, and that's why I love Postmates. They deliver food from every restaurant I can think of right to my door. But Postmates just does not... Be- but Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make life easier with grocery store delivery, like I just talked about, and whatever I can think of delivery too. Convenience stores, clothing stores, you name it. So no more trips to the store. No more late night fast food runs. I don't even have to worry about where to grab lunch anymore. Just download the Postmates app on iOS or Android, find your favorites, and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use the code LOCKEDON. That's code LOCKEDON for $100 of free delivery. So that means no, no delivery charge, guys. For, you know, just, you're just paying for what you're getting. With no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmates it. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned frontline guys. We moved to somebody who has got all the makings of one. Young Jackson Rutledge, he's the number three prospect. He's a right-handed pitcher. He's 21, first-round pick in 2019. Uh, 6'8", 250. This guy is a hoss. And he originally went to Arkansas, but tore his labrum. Then went to San Jacinto Junior College. If you know anything about college baseball, San Jacinto is one of the, is one of the best junior college programs in the country. Numbers there, 13 starts, 9-2, and two, 82.2 innings pitched, a .87 ERA, 134 strikeouts to 30 walks, a 15.5, 14.59K per nine innings rate, only eight runs uh, given up, earned runs given up in 13 starts. And look, when you're, when you're at San Jacinto, you're usually playing against guys who are going to be college players, the guys who are going to transfer. So it's not like you're just beating up on bad players. Um, he was the best junior college prospect in the country. $3.75 million signing bonus. A fastball that sits at 96 that can go to 99. His velocity is consistent. Moving on, it's not. Um, it's it's it sinks near the bottom of the zone. It's a pitch it still needs to work on, but the velocity is freaking awesome. Upper 80s in the slider. Great. It's a great pitch to use off that fastball. It's still got a high velocity and the movement's really good. Curveball in the 80s, and he's developing a changeup. So he's got the pitch arsenal. Um, it's surprisingly short stride is for the guy being so short. If you watch the tape on him, that's what the scouts say too. Last year in Hagerstown, 27 innings pitch, 2.30 ERA, 31 Ks, 11 walks. 151 batting average against best case scenario premier starter worst case scenario he's got the stuff to be a premier bull line bullpen guy right Connor this guy is the complete package yeah I think Jackson Rollage with a guy like that I don't see him coming out of the bullpen I think he has too many pitches I think he has I'm too saying, much I'm things go completely to, to be a reliever but you know you'll you look at what he did in junior college could not be better those numbers are just yeah, phenomenal. So that's obviously why he was the number 17 overall pick in the draft for a reason. And then you look at what he did at Hager- Hagerstown, another great, great performance. Um, maybe cut down on the walks a little bit, but not yep. terrible. Um, 0.151 batting average against is outstanding. Yeah, I mean, he's just a, a, an incredibly tough guy to hit. Somebody looking, coming from uh, that high at you at six foot eight, that's just a, a weird angle for a hitter. And then the ball's coming in that hard, and he's got off speed stuff to go with it. So, this is someone that you hope is going to be towards the top of your rotation. A first-round pick guy um, who's been outstanding um, in his time in college and then in the minor leagues as well. Still only 21 years old. 
so has some development to to go. He has a couple more levels to get through, but you hope he stays healthy. That's the biggest thing for me. You look at a pitcher like this, everything's there. You just hope the health remains there. You hope that previously torn labrum, he's going to be able to, to get through that and not have any more injuries because, um, you know, this is this guy's a top prospect, and you can see why. Yeah, I mean, if, physically, too, he's just massive. That's the one thing they're working on is they're trying to get him to utilize the stri- – I mean, they're trying to get him to get more front side extension. Um, and maybe that's something they can work on, but if it doesn't work out, I mean, look, his velocity is not getting hurt because he's, you know, it's his short, his short stride is not keeping him from throwing uh, really fast to put it very lightly. And I mean, yeah, the numbers are there. You know, the only thing is last year in Hagerstown, the walks, but from a, I mean, you look at the entire, you know, list of things that he's got going for him. Uh, it's all, I mean, the guy was recruited by Arkansas. We know their pitching has been, you know, is phenomenal. And yeah, I mean, and, and I was saying, look, if everything goes sideways with the starting stuff, he's got the stuff, excuse me, to be an electric bullpen arm. So that is, that's what I'm saying. Um, I'm really high on him. He's my, he's my favorite prospect out of everybody. Uh, I know people love Luis Garcia, but I'm, I'm probably highest on Jackson uh, Rutledge um, just because, I mean, he has got the full arsenal. Yeah, I think it would also be really good for the Nats to produce a a really high quality starter again because they haven't done that in a while. Right. It's it's hard to to think back to the last few guys that they've have really came up through the organization and then been great starting pitchers for the Nats. I mean, they've gone out in free agency and gotten Max Scherzer and they've gotten Patrick Corbin and obviously Strasburg was one of those guys that I was initially referring to. But him, Jordan Zerman, guys like that, they need they need to start producing more of them because uh, going into free agency for pitchers, even though it's been great for the Nats, it's something where you still want to have some homegrown talent there. It's with the Nats, they've kind of always gone. They've loved to draft pitchers, but it seems like they've maybe done better in developing hitters. So yeah. Jackson Rutledge is someone you hope that is going to be able to to live up to that because he's kind of that number one guy in the organization. When you look at can't miss pitchers, he's he's that guy for them. Speaking of can't miss, we move uh, now to Luis Garcia, second baseman, shortstop, and third baseman. 19 years old, signed in July of 2016. 6'2", bats left, throws right. Uh, from, from the Dominican Republic, signed a $1.3 million deal. Same offseason, obviously, in 2016 as Antuna and Sanchez. That was an offseason where in the international pool, the Nationals spent $6 million. Um, last year in Harrisburg, 525 at bats, 257 batting average, 280 on base. 30 RBI, 86 strikeouts, 17 walks, um, 11 stolen bases. So the, the thing with him is that he's played like he's played a bunch is is really what I like to see at 19 years old. And he's got a ton of experience in the organization already. I mean, he played for three teams last year. He was in the rookie league, then made it to, uh, up to Auburn for short season where he was. Um, excuse me, I'm looking at Jackson Rutledge uh, to Garcia. He, 17, he played in the rookie league, Hagerstown and Potomac. Um, and hit 297 and 299 there. And then Hagerstown in 2019. I mean, this guy was the youngest player on the double-A roster opening season last year. And for 18, 19 years old, Connor, he had a really awesome season. Yeah, he's so young. But the talent is is certainly there with him. I, I like to see that this spring training, Juan Soto, before it got shut down, Juan Soto was helping Luis Garcia with his swing. Sometimes with guys like Garcia, they the expectations for them can be a little bit unrealistic in this organization because of guys like Juan Soto and Victor Robles and how young they were when they made it to the major leagues. So hopefully, you know, that kind of pressure doesn't get put on him where 
Quan made the massive jump from basically single A to the major leagues in a week and a half. But best hitter in the organization, prospect-wise, uh, by a good amount, in my opinion. He's he's young. He has the ability to get stronger. He can play a lot of different positions in the infield. I think he I think he'll end up at third base, maybe second base. Um, we'll see. Probably going to be where they need, uh, where they have to fill a need because Trey Turner kind of has that shortstop spot locked down, and and really I think he's somebody that they'll re-sign to keep that spot locked down because Turner's really the guy that makes that offense go. So I think you'll see Garcia within the next couple of years fit in at either third base or second base wherever they need him. Mainly the thing is trying to get him in the lineup because a hitter like that, there, you really just you just want to throw any position. You want to throw him at any position you can. Yeah. And you got to get him on the field. You got to get him yeah, on the field. You just got to get him on the field. And he was he was at a level last year, young guy in that league, but you saw the flashes of what he can do. And I think he's only going to get better. I think his numbers are only going to get better. And I think it's good that he's in an org. I think this is a perfect spot for him. He's got he's not blocked in his way to the major leagues. He has younger guys out there that can kind of help him along that road. And I think we're going to see him pretty soon. Yeah, I mean the ETA on on him is uh, is twenty twenty one, and I mean by all accounts he's going to make that. You know, you talked about Juan Soto and having those expectations, but also at the same time too, like you mentioned, Connor, it's good that he you know he's able to learn from him, and that, and that Juan Soto has helped him with his swing and taken an interest. I mean, Juan Soto is now a twenty, still twenty one years old, and he's mentoring somebody who you know is kind of in the same position and. Um, you can still tell he watched Luis Garcia get interviewed. You can still tell he's getting custom to have a translator there and, you know, things of that nature as he kind of rises his way up. My one question about the actual game itself is the power. And I'm not like, I don't need him to jack 40 home runs. I really don't. I don't care that much. I'm just questioning how the power is going to, ma- it's, it's like your fastball velocity as a pitcher. I'm questioning how the power is going to manifest as he, you know, as his body changes, uh, see where the weight goes. I think he's going to stay pretty skinny. Um, at 62190, I'd, I'd say he's probably going to end up around that weight. Um, but he can hit the bo- both sides of the field. I mean, obviously, a really great approach. A lot of Juan Soto in him. Uh, you can tell that the professional approach for him is is already there. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I would say he's the best prospect the Nationals have. Like, you know, if you were going to keep this list, I, I mean, I think he's got much more upside than Keyboom at this point, just because of how consistent he's been as a professional at this age. Yeah, he's a he's someone that you like to see a young guy use all sides of the field. I think intelligence and ability to to lay off those tough pitches has been why Juan Soto has been so successful. He's been able to adjust with two strikes. He's been able to tough take take tough pitches and he's been able to hit for power to all sides of the field. Soto is so strong that I don't think you're going to see that kind of power out of Garcia but if you can see those traits kind of manifest themselves I think he'll have a ton of success I think Juan's obviously a tough comparison just because right I mean he's well, I a think it's good to have that influence with you you know have yeah a, I mean just having him around just yeah. having him around with is a guy who had to go up to the major leagues early and seemed as still seems well beyond his years mentally seems like one of the smartest hitters in the league in my opinion yeah and I think having a guy like that around can only help a young player. So, you know, we started getting into this conversation because Carter, Carter Keeboom is obviously number one, but I'm thinking about it in my head right now. And the second base situation is fine, but Estrubal Cabrera and Howie Kendrick are going to age out. Starlin Castro is on a short-term contract, obviously. 
I think there's a chance that if Garcia keeps this up, they can put him at third and move Keeboom to second where he's clearly much more comfortable because I don't know if this Carter Keeboom at third base thing is going to work out, Connor. I think they'd love to do that. I think they'd yeah. love to have those two young guys come in and fill those two positions as soon as 2021 because, like you said, as Drupal Cabrera, Howie Kendrick, veteran guys not going to be around long term. Um, you eventually need money. I think, in the Nats' opinion, as good as Anthony Rendon was, I think – and this is just me guessing is that they feel the need to re-sign Trey Turner to a long-term deal. They don't usually feel that need with hitters. They let Bryce Harper go. Mm-hmm. They let Anthony Rendon walk. They locked up Strasburg. They go out in free agency and sign pitchers, not hitters. But I think in that leadoff spot that Turner's been in, they really view him as the engine of that offense, and they don't want him to go. So they need that money. If you can get two prospects that are are making – uh, young guy money in the major leagues it's frees up that money for turner so i think that you see uh i think when you look at those two guys they look at their top two prospects and they definitely hope that in 2021 they're able to take over those spots yeah i mean you talk about turner too like how consistent also he is like you know as so reliable as a player at shortstop i mean you don't have to worry about the position at all um carter Keeboom, uh infielder 22 years old 2016 first round pick six two one ninety bats right throws right Hamstring injury limited him in his first year in the organization. Last year, 412 at-bats, 303, um, 409 on base, 79 RBI, 16 home runs, 100 Ks. Not great. Yeah, not great. Um, Not terrible. Huh? Not terrible. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, you don't want to have 100 strikeouts. Also, too, I mean, when he goes up to the major leagues, Connor, you know, he goes only 39 at-bats, but he's hits 128, 209 on base. Uh, 16 strikeouts in those 39 bats. And look, it's his first time, I know, obviously. But the, a little bit of the shine came off there, didn't it? Yeah, I think, to me, it's still not a big deal. I don't right. really care about that. I think that Wilmer Defoe was struggling so much yep. that Trey Turner was injured. And they're like, well, we got to try and do something because this spot has basically been a disaster since Trey went down. They got Carter Keboom. I think, I, I really do think, hitting wise he's ready you look at the 39 at bats i know it's 39 at bats though i don't i don't particularly care it's the defense where he really struggled at shortstop and i think that kind of mentally took a toll on him and and affected his ability at the plate so maybe if he gets somewhere he feels more comfortable he'll be able to kind of relax and hit the way that we all know he can i like like i was saying i think that him at shortstop was really the thing that prevented him from succeeding the most because he just wasn't ready for that aspect of it. Right. Obviously, if he plays this year, he's going to be playing a different position. So we'll see how it goes. I think whenever this season does ramp up, Carter Keboom, there's a good chance we see him at third base. Oh, yeah, I don't think they Davey want to send him back to the minor leagues. Davey Martinez said it. I mean, it's, it's his job to lose. Yeah, he takes his walks. That's important. It's a t- mm-hmm. tough shoes to fill coming into Anthony Rendon's spot at third, but – I think that for the most part, I think he's ready. We'll see how he handles it defensively. I'm definitely concerned about that drop off from Rendon to really anyone else, one of the best defenders in baseball, uh, leaving that spot. But um, Keyboom, hopefully they can find a position where he can settle in too, whether yeah. that be second base or third base, not, not kind of keep shifting him around right. and, and let him do what he's there to do at the plate. Because my one concern is if things don't go well for him at third, I mean, obviously they want Garcia to get up there so they can move, keep him over to second. Uh, I, you know, that just like we talked about, but you would hate it if, if things didn't go well at third base and kind of over it, it hurt his overall confidence. Because I think if they can get him to second base and they can keep him there, I think, you know, obviously the hitting will come. 
I mean, the you know, in spring training, with a small sample size, but he hit 233, 395 on base, which is really good. Like you said, takes his walk. Um, baseball reference simulated stats for this year. It's, I found this hilarious. He was hitting 366 at 481 on base with, uh, with the simulated stats of the 13 games. So baseball reference, obviously a big fan. Yeah, defensively, I mean, I think he's going to end up being a middle infielder. Um, but, you know, it's nice to see him compete at the age of 22 for that spot now. Um, ETA 2020, yeah, he's going to be part of the team right now. It's weird because we're waiting for the number two prospect to get up so we can move the number one prospect over to his natural position. It feels like the number one guy should be able to kind of take whatever burden he's given. But, you know, I mean, it's you can't have it, you can't have it all, right, Connor? Yeah, and with a guy like Keelum where he kind of bounces around defensively in the minor leagues, it's just he gets drafted as a shortstop. Obviously, he's that kind of athlete, but Trey Turner is an even better athlete, and he's right. at that position. So he needs to kind of find another spot. And I think, I think he can figure out second base or third base. He's only 22 years old, so he still has time right. to improve. But they have a need right now at third. They have some older guys that are going to be able to handle second base. That's what the Nats did last year. It was fine. They need an everyday guy over at third. And I think that's what they're going to ask Keeboom to do. And whether he succeeds or not, if he, if he doesn't, then I think we'll see more as Drupal Cabrera over there. I think Starlin Castro may get some reps over there. But for now, uh, that's going to be Keeboom's spot. And they're going to see as Drupal is more of a utility guy. And Starlin's going to be more of the everyday guy at second base. And, but, and Keeboom's going to have, have his opportunity. It's just going to be up to him to take advantage of it. I mean, this is kind of a good problem to have, right? We're talking about all this depth they have. I mean, Castro, Kendrick, Cabrera, all guys who have are veterans, who have performed well, come up in big moments, are consistent, reliable. We mix those in with a guy like Keeboom. I mean, he's got the steady hands in front of him to help him and, and walk him along. This is a good problem to have, I think, at the end of the day, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez are going to put somebody they trust out there. Keeboom's the one with the most upside. They... They believe in his talent, obviously, for a variety of reasons. And they're going to give him that shot to be the everyday guy. But if it doesn't work out, they do have guys they still feel comfortable with that went rotating in and out of that position. This is a team that, after that World Series last year, they still want to come back and compete, even after the loss of Anthony Rendon. So uh, the leash might not be too long, especially in a shortened season. But personally, I think he'll do a good job, and I think he's going to be able to lock down that everyday spot. A couple things before we get out of here. So we've got a couple days to now marinate on MLB's proposal, Connor. And you know, I, th- I think generally the reaction has been pretty good. I mean, I think all the skeptics who are making points about that's a lot of people to keep quarantined for a long period of time. And, um, you know, the there's concerns about how hot it's going to be in the middle of the summer in Arizona and seven inning games. But how would you generally say the reaction is? And how are you feeling a couple days after we've gotten the first hints of MLB's plan for return? I don't necessarily feel like we're any closer to actually realizing that may return. I still don't think that's going to happen, but hopefully, you know, is the hopefully people can keep doing a good job of stopping the spread of the virus. So by June, maybe we can get games back. Um, I, I think at some point there will be a season, and that's the main thing. I, the The situation of having it in Arizona in stadiums with no fans where the players are six feet apart in the stands like that, all that's right. robot umps. Like that's just too much that yeah, I don't that's... see happening. Yeah. But at least it does show some commitment by the league to wanting to get back to play. I think the players want to too, when the circumstances are right and people's health aren't at risk. And so, yeah, I think may still 
uh, we're jumping the gun a little bit, but maybe the next month, month and a half after that, hopefully guys are able to to get back. And I don't know how many games the season's going to be. I don't know how long they're going to push the season. There's so much things to figure out because, I mean, if the World Series is in New York in the middle of November, that's going to be a little bit tough. Yeah. So they've got to they've got to figure out a lot of different things. Personally, I'm not that concerned whether how many games there are. If it's 81 games, if it's 100 games, I mean, I don't care as long as they as long as they figure it out and, and end up having a season in the end. Uh, you know, I was listening to one conversation. What is the what is a certain amount of games that you you would say at this point is not worth playing? Like, because I don't really have a number in mind actually for that. Um, I'd say that. I mean. I don't know if I necessarily have an, have a like real number because right. what makes the season not worth playing if it's less games? Like why does yeah. it why would it matter? Yeah. Is my question. Like yeah, yeah, it's less games. Maybe maybe it makes things a little more variable and things don't have as much time to shake themselves out, but I don't see any reason not to do it. I think they'll at least get half the games and probably more than that. I think they'll be somewhere between I think they'll get probably 3 quarters of the season in. Right. I, that's just me throwing out a random guess, but um, I think at a minimum they'd get half the games. I think that eighty-one is is plenty to. That's plenty of an opportunity for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think eighty-one is kind of the magic number, and like I, st- I've heard the argument that the championship is not like it could be tainted. It's a shorter season. Once again, let's go back to 2011, 2012 in the NBA. Nobody is like, well, the Heat got a lockout championship. I mean, like nobody thinks that. Yeah, at all. I actually didn't even remember that until right. I heard people talking about it the other day. I completely forgot that they played less than eighty-two games the year the uh, that year the Heat won the championship. And I right. think it would be the same thing with baseball. I think that when you look back on it, I really don't think people would would remember that um, that less games were played or, or think any differently of a championship because of that. Because the road through the playoffs, and that's really where. That's really where you win the championship. Over 162 games, right. you, um, yeah, good point by me. The playoffs are where you win the championship. <laughs> but the 162 games gives yourself an opportunity, and then after that, it takes so much to still win the World Series. I don't think it's going to be that you're going to look at that run as tainted right. because you're still going to have to go through multiple great teams to win the World Series. Yeah, and I mean, I've I've said this a million times. Like, I think there's times where 162 games feels superfluous because there are moments where it's like a team just feels dead and buried, but by the nature of them having enough games, they can just kind of get back into it because there's so many games, you know? And I mean, there's just so, like, there's, in my opinion, there's almost too many ebbs and flows to a baseball season. Like at a certain point last year, you know, the nationals had proved their worth and like, you know, they're play, clearly a playoff team. Um, you know, if things had gone like kind of poorly in September, cause they had a couple injuries, you, you'd kind of be upset about it. But you know, I think it's one of those things like 81 games is perfect. The one problem I have, and you and I have been saying this, is do not make this a trial run for anything. Like, you are in weird circumstances. So go with what you know. Do not do seven inning games. Do not do robot umpires. Do not make the guys space out. It, like, you need the, the actual game itself to be normal baseball. You can't be experimenting in these weird circumstances. Do you yeah, I'd rather that? Rob Manfred just stop thinking of uh, goofy things for a minute and just play normal baseball games whenever they get back to it. I don't want to see two seven inning double, double headers a game. Uh, a day because TV networks want to broadcast as many games as possible. I get the reasons for it. I'm just saying yeah. as a fan, I want to see one nine inning game a day. Like, right. like we normally have, I don't, I think 14 innings a day of baseball is just a ridiculous thing to ask of the players, but yeah. Um, I well, guess we'll see what happens. Uh, all right. So this, this is, we're now done our, our prospect preview. Um, 
player you're most hopeful about of uh, the prospects on this list? Yeah, I think it's Luis Garcia. Yeah, is is the one I'm most. It, it's kind of a tie between him and Jackson Rutledge. I do think between after the top three guys, there's more of a drop off in talent level. Maybe some of those younger guys can are going to end up at the top of the list one day. It's harder to say with guys that age. But I think if you look at the people that are more more seasoned and have the ability to get to the major leagues within the next year or two. I think the top three guys, then you see more of a drop off as far as all-star potential or star player potential. Maybe there's other guys on this list that can definitely help you out. I think if you look beyond number three, Seth Romero is the most talented guy on there, but obviously there's a lot of question marks with him. So, so we'll see if he ever realizes that or not. Yeah. All right, Connor, next one you and I are going to do, we're going to rewatch that, uh, Wild card game. Have you have you gone back and rewatched it since the uh, end of last season? I have. I've watched. So I've I've well I've only watched the last two innings since the end of last okay. season. So I watched. Um, basically, I watched the parts I liked and I enjoyed from that game. And that, <laughs> if you break it down by time spent watching the game versus how much time I enjoyed watching the game, it was probably about. 20% I enjoyed versus 80% I did not. So I cut out that 80% because those first seven innings were incredibly frustrating. Yeah, I mean, it felt like an old school Nationals playoff game with that one. It did not start well. Um, it's on YouTube, so make sure you guys go and check it out. Uh, all right, Connor, this is this will wrap it up for us. We'll talk to you in a couple of days for that Nats playoff rewatch, part number six. We finally made it to the playoffs, guys. Thank you for listening to today's Locked On Nationals podcast. A couple notes to get you guys out of here. Number one, check out all of the podcasts that we've had recently. A lot of them have been evergreen, really pretty much since the, I mean, since the last couple weeks with the prospect previews and our Nats rewatches. Uh, it, the content's pretty much evergreen, whether it be conversations about when the MLB might return, prospect previews, and the rewatches. So check those out. Make sure you check out the Locked On MLB podcast, as well as the Locked On Fantasy Baseball podcast, all part of the Locked On Podcast Network. 